what Keep Kids Alive is all about. It's all about preserving relationships. If we can save one person from the kind of pain that we were going through, we wanted to make sure that we could do that. It's all been, I can be a better person because of who Katie was. And I guess that's the legacy that we all kind of hope to leave. I think we need to give ourselves the the space to be able to not be 100 percent, 24, 7, 365 available to every other human being on the planet. I will get back to you as soon as I can. But if I'm driving, all bets are off. Welcome, everybody, to the Keep Kids Alive podcast. This is our fourth edition uh, of the podcast here in 2020. And today we're joined by uh, Rob and Sherry Reynolds, who are going to share with us about the Katie Ann Reynolds Foundation, the genesis of that, and what's been happening with it over the past 12 years, just sharing their story. Uh, We've been about stories, and stories are what make up our lives. They uh, give us significance and meaning and uh, look forward to all that we can learn and the meaning we can uh, discern from uh, our conversation today. Rob, Sherry, welcome to the Keep Kids Alive podcast. Thanks for having us, Tom. Well, we're delighted to have you. We're recording remotely today from uh, about eight blocks away from each other's home. (laughs) (laughs) So we're we're pretty close to home today. Anyway, uh, just to get us started, I wanted to have you share from your perspective uh, your story of how we connected with your work with the Carr Foundation and uh, our mission with Keep Kids Alive Drive 25. Well, you know, the way I recall our meeting, Tom, our daughter, uh, our oldest daughter, actually our oldest of five, uh, 16-year-old, was involved in a crash not even a mile and a half from our house near both of our neighborhoods. And one of the attending officers at that crash site is now a captain on the Omaha Police Force. Name is Lori Scott. And the way I recall it is she had reached out to us uh, because she knew that we were going to take this event and uh, create a foundation and reach out in the community and, and try to prevent more accidents like this. And she thought it would be for us to meet. And from there, Tom, you and I met several times and you shared with me so, so many of the stories that you've gathered in the time Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 has been around and I shared our story as well. And then together, I think we took a, a journey of, of trying to understand how our individual nonprofits are working in the community, the approaches we're taking, sharing those synergies and also to, I think, somewhat standing back and admiring how both of those different organizations work hand in glove to make our community safer. Would you like to add anything, Sherry? You know, Tom, it was such a blur of a time, I guess. I don't remember the exact details, but I do remember Lori being involved. I do remember the day Lori called me and just realizing the importance of the story, the importance of the information that, that we had and hopefully adding our value to this message and then knowing that you had done it for so many years already, clearly an expert in the field. And so we definitely drew knowledge from you as well as Lori Scott, both integral in informing what we know now know as Car Alliance. 
Well, I, I'd like to let our listeners know, uh, you know, I certainly had the privilege of seeing you speak on several occasions. And uh, Rob is a font of information uh, and, you know, well-researched and you really count on uh, what he presents as painting a picture of the kind of things that we need to be about, the kind of things that we need to do, the kind of things we need to be paying attention to. And so because of a precursor to that, I'd like to introduce our listeners to Katie. If you could talk about Katie and, you know, who she was and who she still is for you today, I'm going to leave that open to you to tell her story. Well, Katie was the oldest of our five children. We have four daughters and one son, and she was the quintessential oldest daughter, oldest um, child. She strove to work hard be a good person. She was awesome big sister to her siblings. She was really the kind of kid that I guess every parent would want. And many times I questioned if most of the time she even needed a parent. She just kind of intuitively got life and was a good soul. She did just gracious things to nurture other human beings it wasn't about what kind of clothes you wore or your car you drove. As a matter of fact, sometimes it was opposite of that. It was about who you were. It really was. And she would pick up somebody who maybe was sitting on a bench alone and sad at school. And she would take a moment and sit down and just be the kid that maybe that kid needed to hear from and say, you know what? You're gorgeous. You have a great you know, personality. Let's do something tomorrow at lunch. You join our table. You didn't have to be popular. Katie saw you as a human being. That's definitely who she was. I don't question, I guess, maybe why she was chosen. And of course, our message in going forward in that Katie was probably pretty darn close to the person that God needed her to be to go up to heaven. I can say as a 55-year-old woman, I don't feel like I'm necessarily ready for that. But as that 16-year-old kid, I, I think she was pretty darn close, if not right there. We were just proud of her beyond measure. Thank you, Sherry. Yeah, I can add to that, too. I, I can say that, you know, as, as a dad, well, as a parent, I mean, you're proud of all of your kids uh, uh, for different reasons. And Katie always was an old soul. She always had the gift of relating to people, and she really did value other human beings really above anything else. And especially after her passing, we received so many cards, letters, people telling us, stopping us about individual kindness that Katie had either provided to one of their kids who maybe wasn't seen as being popular or, or needed help. And this, you know, this young girl with this charismatic personality that everyone seemed to think was the popular girl, you know, would take them under her wing. And it was such a, uh, an easy thing to be proud of when you heard stories like that. But it really did kind of sum her up. And there were so many times I would just shake my head and say, yeah, that was Katie. She had this enormous capacity to get people and she had this enormous capacity for love. And it was it was really the gift that she was given. Do you have any uh, special stories that maybe others, her friends or family members shared with you uh, in the wake of her death? Well, there was one young girl who actually was a year older than Katie in high school. And she kind of bullied Katie when Katie was a freshman and this young lady was a sophomore. 
kind of did seek Katie out in the hallways to kind of give her some grief. And Katie stood up to her and said, you know, look, we don't we don't have to have these kinds of exchanges. And it continued on for a while. And then I think maybe the young lady just got a little tired of it because Katie wasn't giving it back to her. After Katie died, we received a letter from that young woman and it absolutely transformed her life. She said, you know, I look back now and I think about the way I treated her and I'm so ashamed of myself. I thought of it as fun. I thought of it as a game. And now I look at it as something just really not the right thing to do. And I see that a lot in a lot of people that knew Katie since Katie's death. The effect has just been a positive one in their life. I don't know of anybody who has taken Katie's death and done anything negative with it. It's all been, I can be a better person because of who Katie was. And I guess that's the legacy that we all kind of hope to leave. But even for a 16-year-old girl to leave that kind of legacy is very powerful. I agree. There's been a lot of positivity that has been shown towards Katie after her passing in that a lot of people thought she was great while she was here, but afterwards really understood that there aren't a lot of people like that who kind of live their lives to lift other people up. And one of the really kind of neat stories that we heard, we got this letter from somebody we didn't know about her daughter, who we also didn't know, who was also a freshman at Marion. And again, Katie's outgoing personality was such that, that she was considered very popular. Anyway, we were reading this this letter and it brought us both to tears. She was talking about how her daughter was very introverted, you know, kind of mousy, and she didn't really have any groups that she was fitting into. And she was questioning whether or not she should stay at Marion. And she was sitting by herself at a lunch table. And she said that the most popular girl in school came over and asked her to come sit with them. And it was Katie. And even now it chokes me up. That was the kind of kid she was. She couldn't stand to see people in pain. She wanted to make sure that other people felt included as well. Anyway, it was just one of those things that, again, brought up such feelings of pride about who she was. And like Sherry said, kind of confirmed that she was really kind of a whole person at the time that she passed. And that gave us a lot of comfort. I have to own that I, I can feel some of the emotion myself just in listening to your story. And, uh, you know, I, I am very grateful that you, you do share those stories. Coming to the, the Carr Foundation, the Katie Ann Reynolds Foundation, uh, how did that emerge, you know, from your experience of Katie's death? Katie died in 2007. After she died, we just really had to take a breath. You know, we had we saw four kids that needed to be raised. I mean, Emily was only, what, 14 at the time. Carson was two. And Rob and I talked about it, actually, about how important it was for he and I to reconcile Katie's death within our family, within our marriage, so that we could raise our four surviving children in the same manner that we had raised Katie with two parents that love each other and love them and and can get up every morning and make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and and do life. And so that's what we did. 
But we took a year and just kind of did that. And then in 2008, we decided that it was time uh, that quite a few other crashes had happened in Omaha. We had lost other young people. Texting and using your cell phone while you were driving was becoming a big thing. It was new, but it was becoming a big thing. And we wanted to draw attention to the issue. And we had a compelling story with an absolutely beautiful face to put on our story. And we felt the call. And so we did. We started the Katie Ann Reynolds. We call it CAR, Alliance for Safer Teen Driving, and started to um, go out and speak to people about Katie's story and the statistics and the fact that driving your vehicle and using your cell phone in any manner is not safe. And uh, we have a, a lot of information. Of course, a lot more information has come out since 2008. We were on the cusp. We were one of the first people out there speaking. And we've done an awful lot of work nationally as well as locally to bring this message to the forefront. Hey, thank you. Rob? Yeah, to dovetail on what Sherry said, the genesis of it really happened the morning after Katie's passing. It was it was the lowest time in our lives. And and we were driving home very early in the morning. Uh, we had one kid who was in Washington, D.C. on a field trip. We had another kid that was spending the night at a friend's house. They had no idea what was going on. Our two youngest were at home and we had called Sherry's uh, mother to stay with them. And we were trying to decide how we were going to talk to them about this. We were in the car and, and we were driving home and, and I remember the sun was coming up and I thought, what, what a horrible thing that the sun would come up after or something like that. You think things would stop, uh, but they didn't. And it kind of forced the issue. So we recommitted ourselves to each other, which was important because we both knew that something like this could tear a family apart and we didn't want that to happen. We also said we have to stop this from happening to at least one other family. If we can save one person from the kind of pain that we were going through, whether it be a, a parent or um, some other significant person to the person who dies, we wanted to make sure that we could do that. And so the genesis of CAR was really right there in that drive home. We started a 501c3 nonprofit. We immersed ourselves in the available uh, research at the time I started traveling and talking to people because Katie's crash involved uh, another 16-year-old driver who was texting and driving and ran through a red light and broadsided her. We knew we wanted to speak to teenagers. We knew we wanted to get into schools. We knew we wanted to be on TV and talk about our message. And we knew we wanted to make it bigger than just our immediate area. So we, we broadened out and, and as Sherry mentioned, spoke nationally. And since then, it, it has become one of those, you know, things that is, is uh, very passionate, but also still a very personal thing. And we knew that because it, it has a personal aspect to it, when we do speak, it's not just another voice saying, here's the statistics around distracted driving. To a 16-year-old driver, some of that goes in your ear and out the other. But at the end of that, if you can connect it to somebody who looks like them and who had the same feelings and same aspirations as they do and show that it really is not a big leap between what happened here and what could happen to you 
if the choices you make are not sound. We knew that that message would carry through. And because of that, and I've said this before, we know it's more than one that we probably prevented from happening. And we know Katie's keeping count. And we hope that when we see her again, she's going to tell us. You know, it's a good reminder to us all that uh, statistics are our people. There are sons, our daughters, there are moms, our dads, our brothers, our sisters. They're people that we love and who love us. And we need to remind ourselves whenever we see that, that word statistic that it's kind of a, I think, a kind of an unfeeling word. But uh, people are not unfeeling. With the advent of CAR and uh, your speaking engagements, can you talk a little bit about you know what's been involved in those speaking engagements, the kind of groups that you've been able to present to, and maybe some kind of the feedback or stories that uh, people have shared back with you? Jerry, why don't you tell the story of the first official car event that we did, because I think it's kind of special. The one in Kearney? It was the annual conference for the Nebraska Department of Roads. Yeah, that was our first. <laughs> so here we are in front of, you know, probably a couple hundred, 300 people or so. <laughs> and we were road testing our presentation, <laughs> which we, you know, customize our presentations for each group. Of course, it's different when we're speaking to the Department of Roads than when we're speaking to a school. But my uncle at the time worked for LTAP. And he invited us to come and speak. The Lincoln Technical Assistance Program. They okay. are an extension okay. of uh, the University of Nebraska, and they provide technical assistance to the Department of Roads for things like safer road construction, bridges, inspections, and things of that nature. Okay, great, great. You know, most of them, I'm sure, are engineers or have doctorates or whatever. And, you know, here we are, a mom and a dad coming to speak. But... By the time we were finished, I think we had the whole room emotional and we knew that the story that we had to tell it absolutely important to these gentlemen and women who are out there every day trying to make our roads safer. And they're trying to make it safer for our kids, for us, for our kids, for everyone's kids. The thought of us sending the rest of our kids out driving, which right now we're teaching our last one to drive. It was scary to send them out. And these people, the room that we were talking to, these were the people that were responsible for making those roads safer. So anyway, it was a bit of a scary speech. Very scary, actually. But we clearly we had a compelling story for those people in that room that day. What's a piece of the story that you think really struck maybe the heartstrings of those who were listening? Well, I just think probably the story of who Katie was and what our world has lost due to one moment in time. Just one young woman who made the wrong choice at the wrong time. And I think that's the compelling story for everybody that we speak to. It all has to do with our choices, and we need to always make the right choice when it comes to driving thousands of pounds of metal and glass. I was a stay-at-home mom for many, many years, and was at that time, too, when we did that first speech. And I said to them, my life a year ago was laundry and dishes and cooking and finances, home finances, and here I am speaking in front of hundreds of people. And why? 
because I feel passionately about this. And I feel passionately not only because I lost a child, but because I have other children to send out on those roads. And I think that did get them. You know, they think about concrete and rebar. And I'm thinking about the human being that drives on those roads that they're working on. It makes me think when you say concrete and rebar that we need to remind ourselves that it's real human beings. Exactly. And and I was reminded too, Sherry, in, uh, in your sharing that when uh, Rob used the word crash earlier in our conversation, uh, that it's so important to realize that so many of the uh, events in life that we might describe as accidents really aren't accidents, that they're choices yeah. that people made because you, you mentioned that choice. And you know, sometimes, yes. uh, you know, maybe that we get behind the wheel and we don't really think about the fact that we're making choices. Every moment we're behind the wheel, we're making choices. Absolutely. That particular episode was was special because it did kind of confirm, I think, that we were on the right path. So that the affirmation of a bunch of mostly burly guys dressed in, you know, yellow and <laughs> orange vests. I mean, it looks like they came right in off the road crew and they had been through pretty much a full day of, of meetings and, and presentations. And then here come this uh, this husband and wife that really had no previous experience doing this at all. And within 15 minutes, you couldn't hear anything. And I don't think we missed a handshake or a hug on the way out. I think everybody stopped us and just said that was phenomenal. And, and it just kind of reinforced and bolstered our, our uh, resolve in terms of we were doing the right thing. And from them going into schools, it really kind of, uh, again, gave us the, the idea that what we were doing wasn't just for Katie and for her siblings, but it was really for everyone. And it really harkened back to Katie's attitude towards other people. If she could have been alive, been involved in something like this, she would have tried to make sure as many people as she could have heard that message and understood it and then took it to heart. And so a lot of what we do when we're in schools is we try to talk to people or we try to talk to kids on that level. We try to talk to them not just about what they're doing in school today, but what they're going to do when they get in their car when they leave. I always say uh, in my presentations, now I know a certain number of you are going to get in your cars when you leave. You're going to pick up your phone and you're going to look and see what's going on. You're going to hit a stoplight. You're going to you know, read text. You're going to get on Instagram. I know that's going to happen. But I hope that it doesn't. And it's because that something could happen that you're not expecting and you can't ever take it back. And I guarantee you, the young woman who caused the crash that took Katie's life wishes every day that she could take that back. And some things you just can't take back. So our message is, is very somber at the end. And it's very truthful in terms of how this impacts individuals. and. I try to do what I think Katie might do if she was in front of people and try to plea for, for their change in behavior, because it really is a change in behavior. There, there's so many freedoms that we enjoy as Americans and so many freedoms that we enjoy as individuals that really aren't taken away unless something tragic happens. And in the state of Nebraska, as we all know, we have laws against distracted driving, but they're not primary enforcement which makes them very weak laws. And we're one of only two states that continue to do that. 
There are other states that have no laws, by the way, but Nebraska is one of those that, that has a very weak enforcement where you're going to continue to be at risk in this state until we have enforcement backing up what we're doing on the books. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of legislation from your perspective? We've always said that safety is a three-legged stool, and the one leg in that stool that we're missing right now is enforcement. We have laws. We have people like Tom, like you and I, that will go out and uh, inform and educate people. So we have the, the law, we have the education piece, but we don't have the enforcement piece. So really what we're lacking is the execution on the entire plan, if you will. We know what what causes these crashes. We can emphatically spell it out, and we have in a law. And when it was presented in our unicamera, it was presented as a primary offense. But there was so much opposition in the legislature, the state legislature, about enforcing something that they thought was going to be too difficult to enforce that it was knocked down to a secondary offense. And in doing so, it took the teeth out of the whole program. Now, I can tell you that in other states where it has been highly successful in terms of law enforcement, both looking for this behavior and ticketing on it, and then seeing people adhere to it, they will tell you that there's no problem at all. Why Nebraska is taking so long to get this law turned into a primary enforcement? I mean, I think it really just comes down to somebody being brave enough to stand up and say, it's time. Enough's enough. We've been saying that for a long time. If murder was a secondary offense and you had to be doing something else before you could get arrested for murder, we'd have people lined up around the block saying we can't we can't have that. To me, this is a justifiable homicide in some regards. If I'm drunk and I cause a crash like this, we know what the consequences are. If I'm distracted, pretty much anything can happen. So nobody's really protected until we enforce the behaviors that we want to see. And right now we don't have that. When we talk about personal responsibility, what are some of the effects that have come out of the research that when people are distracted in some way, shape or form by cellular devices that you could share with our listeners? Well, one thing I would, I just want to add in here is when I okay. would speak to the kids, I would say, you know, when you're when you're distracted, your mind's distracted, your eyes are distracted. And lots of times when you're texting, so are your hands. So you're driving your car with your foot on the gas. That's not a great way to drive a car going forward without any of your other faculties watching where you're going. And that's true of distraction. You're not driving your vehicle with any sense just going forward. And that's when crashes happen. Exactly. The research that has come about since Katie's crash has not only proven, but also defined exactly what kind of things happen when you are distracted behind the wheel. One thing that might surprise a lot of people, and I think it does every time I say it, one third of all crashes at least are caused by a distracted driver somebody with a cell phone in their hand, as a matter of fact. So a cell phone distracted driver is at least one third of all crashes. And most people would say that's a lot of people who are texting and driving. Well, if you split up that one third of all crashes and then you say what percentage of, of those are uh, people who are texting, what percentage are, are talking, the overwhelming majority are talking. 
And it's not because texting is safer than talking. In fact, it's six times as much as eight times as uh, more risky than talking on the phone. But the mere action of having a conversation with somebody who's not present with you in the car, that type of distraction is mentally distracting and causes something we call inattention blindness. And it's measurable. And it happens quite frequently. In fact, you can do it in your own home. If you're talking on your cell phone or if you're talking on your home uh, phone and you're just walking around your house, or even if you're just sitting in a chair, once you end that conversation, if you think back about how or where you were of your surroundings, or if you were walking through your house, how much of what you, you can remember or recall about your physical surroundings while you were having that conversation, you'll realize that very little of it is, is actually retained. And it's the same thing when you're driving. When that person's not present with you in the vehicle, your imagination kicks in and you're having a conversation with somebody who's not there, but you're still seeing a face. You're still talking to an entity and you're preparing what you're going to say next. And while all those things are going on, you're also trying to do something that's very difficult, which is make decisions while you're driving, how fast you're going, what the streetlights are, what uh, pedestrians are maybe on the road, how much traffic there is. There's literally hundreds of decisions you're making every second while you're driving a car. When you're not distracted, when you are distracted, your brain is switching very quickly between the two actions of talking on the phone and driving the car. And mostly it decides what's most important at that time. So if it happens to say the conversation is the most important thing right now, that can be the time at which you're completely blind to what's happening in, in your surrounding and you might hit the car in front of you or you might hit the person who's walking across the street or you may not see that there's a red light and just go right into the intersection as if there's nothing there. And that's what happened in Katie's case. So overwhelmingly, people who are having conversations on their phone because those conversations are lasting usually for the entire drive and that mind is distracted for that entire time. Because the presence of the distraction, even though it's a lower risk, is present for the entire drive, typically that makes it more prevalent. But I can say that in general, just people looking down at their device, checking an email, checking uh, Instagram, checking anything at all, even if you're stopped at a light, the presence of that distraction in your mind lasts. And I think we tell ourselves a lot of lies just so that we can continue to have the freedoms we want. Whether we believe it or not, that's what's going on in the human mind. And because we're all human beings, everyone has it. There's not one person who's not affected. Well, thank you, Rob. Uh, it reminds me of a couple of studies that uh, I've seen, one from the University of Rhode Island and one from the University of Utah. And you may well have seen these studies as well that, mm -hmm. that indicate that one is that when we're on a cellular device, even if it's hands-free, that we lose use of our peripheral vision. We don't see what's around us. And then secondly, our reaction time slows to somebody 0.09 under the influence, which would be legally drunk. So without having had any kind of alcoholic beverage at all, you know, we're acting or responding or not responding in a way that puts ourselves and others uh, in danger. Yeah, that, that's a great example, Tom, of where science has proven this in, you know, 20 different ways. And what's interesting is you mentioned the amount of impairment that one has when they're just talking on a phone, being at that level of impairment, which is a temporary impairment compared to a sustained impairment. And if you're drunk, 
But being at that level of impairment is something, again, it's very hard for people to reconcile with. And I think one of the reasons is it's because so many people engage in that behavior. And because they may not have had a crash yesterday or all the days preceding that, or maybe if they did have an event, it was a small event. And they think they've learned from that. So I'm going to pay attention more to the road and less on my phone. They keep telling themselves that this can be done. I've had kids and I've even had adults come to me and uh, after I've spoken and said, I know if this is a problem for a lot of people, but I really, truly believe that some people are better at it than others. And they should have a test on the driver's exam so that you can pass, you know, and, and, and continue to use your phone while you drive. That's insane. To me, that's like saying I, I should be also given a test when I'm legally drunk. I should take, you know, three or four beers, uh, ingest them and then uh, take my driver's test. And if I pass, then I should be able to drive drunk. And most people can look at those two issues and say, well, those are completely different. Impairment is impairment. And we need to treat these things the same way. Well, we're covering a lot of terrain here. <laughs> Did you have anything, Sherry? I just, I do think that we need a law in the state of Nebraska, as quite a few other states already have. I don't think until we have a law, people are really going to change their behavior. That law is necessary. If you could highlight a state that, that you're aware of that has a law that uh, has significantly worked to help change behavior. We know Illinois' law was early in coming. They've always been very progressive, and they have made a huge difference. Rob probably knows statistics a lot better than I do, but we have friends that live in Chicago. And even years ago, when we went to visit them in school zones, there are signs up about same thing as slow down, you know, school zone, but it's slow down and no texting. And then they cite laws that that stipulate no texting in the in the state of Illinois. It's a primary offense and you can be stopped just to have just having your cell phone up. I think uh, California, Washington State, Washington, D.C., New York are all states that have had very successful programs. Illinois is another one. And it's because they've done a great job of both informing the public about the stipulations within their statutes, but also doing the enforcement and doing it in a high visibility way, much in the same way that we do for alcohol enforcement, uh, for drunk driving. I think I think those high visibility stops, everyone looks at and says, well, I, I don't ever want to be that. I think they uh, get a lot of press around it on the news when when somebody uh, is involved in a especially fatality crash or even an injury crash that's significant. I think the media does a very good job of covering it and stipulating what the penalties were for those people. And as a parent, I might tell my 16 year old driver. I don't ever want to catch you using your cell phone while you're driving. And they say, okay to that. But if I add on to that, and if you ever get a ticket for it, that's the end. You won't be driving anymore. That's something I think that that would be a lot more effective than me telling my 16-year-old now, I don't ever want you to use your phone when you drive. But literally in the state of Nebraska, if I wanted to, I could pull up right next to a police officer, send a few texts, you know, look at my Instagram while I'm driving or at a stoplight. And even though that's against the law that we have in Nebraska, there's no problem doing that. I won't get have any repercussions. But in states where they do those uh, those high visibility enforcements, it's very effective. And the rates at which their crashes are happening for distractions are, are much lower than states where it's not happening. 
It reminds me, uh, my favorite definition of freedom is that true freedom is the ability to love in all situations. Some people may not be comfortable with the word love, so substitute the word care in all situations. And, you know, but either, either way, it's recognizing that true freedom is, is acknowledging that other people are living on this earth. And that, you know, to truly be free, we have to pay attention to, to them and uh, care about them and really put that care in the context of ourselves first and foremost, because, you know, if people are, are prone to uh, be motivated by what benefits themselves and you know, what benefits any of us more than being able to, to come home to the people who care about us, because we behaved in such a way that it makes it much more likely that that will happen. But it's, it's really, you know, creating a community of, of people who not just are like-minded or can say it, but just actually behave in those ways, whether it's uh, setting the cell phone aside or buckling up in the first place or observing the traffic signals and signs and maintaining an appropriate following distance, using our, our blinkers. You know, all of those things sure. are, are ways that we communicate. message originally was directed to teens. You know, our organization is called Safer Teen Driving. And um, it was appropriate at the time because we were concerned about these new drivers, which new drivers are new drivers. It's a skill like anything else, like playing a video game or typing, anything, anything that we do that requires skill. Driving is a huge skill. And these drivers haven't seen what all of us seasoned drivers have seen. And they, they need time to acclimate themselves to their new skill without a cell phone in hand. So as important as it is for all of us adults, and it is very important for all of us adults to drive cell-free, it's even more important for our teens because they're new drivers. They don't know what they're doing yet. They still have to feel things out. and. Driving with a with a cell phone in their hand is not going to help them learn the right messages. The illustration I like to give teenagers is uh, just asking them if they've ever been to a football game, which most of them have. I realize some people are missing sports right now, <laughs> but I ask them, you know, what uh, what would you do if the quarterback of the team was talking on a hands free device while trying to run a play? What do you think would be the outcome of that play? You know, I mean, the worst that could happen is maybe there's a fumble, an incomplete pass, the quarterback gets sacked. I said, but nobody died. You're the quarterback of the car when you're in, in that vehicle. So, so what do you think the coach would say? You know, what do you think that the teammates would say? What do you think the people in the stands would say? I said, it would probably spur or create a lot of outrage and all. And yet, you know, we'll, we're, we're willing to put ourselves in even, uh, more imminent and greater danger by doing that behind the wheel. Most of the time, something that can wait, you know, an mm -hmm. LOL or, Hey, where are you? Whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And all of us parents need to kind of heed that message too. If you're texting your daughter and she doesn't answer you immediately, don't freak out. Maybe she's driving and she's doing the right thing and not answering you back immediately. Give her 20 minutes to get to her destination and then she'll text you back, but don't expect her to text you in the car. That's a really good a, point, Sherry. 
I think we need to give ourselves uh, the space to be able to not be 100 percent, 24 7, 365 available to every other human being on the planet. And my cell phone and Sherry's cell phone both have messages on them. So if you call them and it would say, we're busy right now or we're driving and leave your message. We'll get back to you when we can. And I've told my boss at the company I work with, and I have a very, well, I am actually on call 24 7, 365 for my job. But I've told my boss and my clients that if, if you call me or if you reach out to me, I will get back to you as soon as I can. But if I'm driving, all bets are off. I'm, I'm just not going to respond to you. So I'll pull over as soon as I can. That might be 10 minutes. It might be five minutes. It might be 20 minutes. But when I do, then, then I'll attend to whatever it is that needs to be attended to. And we need to give ourselves that space. And that's an important part of the mission is to make sure that people aren't thinking that's the most important thing. I have to respond to that that text or that call or that post right away because if I don't, then I'm missing something. You're not missing anything. In fact, uh, you're taking in more than you would if you did. Thank you. Uh, I have that app on my phone myself and all, and it's very hey. easy to download. And it you know it pays as dividends yeah. every time you get behind the wheel. Uh, people can, uh, you know, it allows people to practice patience. I always like to yeah. say, uh, well, you either be patient or you can become one. And, uh, you know, it's our impatience that can end up being our undoing. Yeah. That reminds me, too, that I came across a, a new tool that one of our board members underwrote the cost of us getting some, uh, but they're called cell slips. And the cell slips, what they do is they block out the radio frequency identification. You just slip your, your phone into the cell slip and it basically shuts off the phone's ability to receive calls or texts or anything. And so, you know, people are coming up with ideas to help us to address these things. And, you know, I know the gentleman who designed that, uh, his uh, wife and two kids were in a crash that was caused by a distracted driver. And fortunately, they, they survived and all, but it, it was kind of their wake-up call to say, well, what's something we could do about this? Well, I want to ask you, as uh, we begin to wind down our, our time together, you know, if you had a, a message in a nutshell that you'd want to share with uh, listeners, what would it be? I think the message is is actually pretty simple, that we're all on this planet together and we need to make sure that we're doing things that aren't hurting our neighbors and, and, and the people that are in our community or wherever we may be. And this is one of those things that to me is just so simple. You need to, when you're driving your car, be aware that the people that are around you and the people that you're driving towards uh, are in danger if you yourself are not completely in control of your vehicle. So put your cell phone down. Don't pick it up. Try to keep your eyes and your hands on the wheel, your eyes focused on the road, and just drive safely. You want to add anything, Sherry, or put a punctuation I just, mark I would that? just say, do it for your mom. <laughs> <laughs> I always like to use the two questions, who do you love and who loves you? Uh, right. I mean, right. you know, the answer to those exactly. questions should be all the reason that we ever need to set those cell phones aside and, uh, you know, buckle up and observe the speed limit and go slower in neighborhoods when we see uh, kids playing or people walking their dogs or whatever the scenario might be. So, 
You know, I really appreciate that. How can people learn more about the KDN Reynolds, the Car Foundation, and uh, the Alliance for Safer Teen Driving? Saferteendriving.org. Make sure it's saferteendriving.org. There is a safe one as well, but we have that little R in there. So saferteendriving.org. It's got our story on it, lots of helpful information, even a contract that you can print out and sign with your new driver that they will be safe. And as a parent who owns the vehicle and pays for the insurance, it's a very, very good idea to have a contract with your child. There's a lot of information on there. There's also information about any events that we have coming up. And we are 501c3. So if you'd like to give give us a little bit of money to continue our mission, we would be very grateful for that as well. But do at least log in, take a take a little look at it just just for the information, if nothing else. Well, I want to ask you, do you have any final thoughts? I think I think we covered everything in terms of the organization, but I have to say one one of the greatest I, I think pleasures that we've had and one of the, the gifts that came out of us being involved in safety was meeting people like yourself, Tom. And and having Absolutely. that partnership and like-mindedness, um, and it really has helped, I think, two parents who lost a child find not just a way throughout this this process of, of trying to get our message out, but also kindred spirits who lift mm-hmm. us up. And so I want to say thank you, because you've always been that sort of person to us and somebody we can look up to, go to for advice, and I hope we've been able to do the same for you. Well, thank you, Rob. Thank you, Sherry. Uh, yeah, uh, these thank are, you. Thank you, Tom. These are special moments, and we definitely have done the same for me in, uh, in many ways that probably have never had a chance to express. I do want to thank you for joining us today. You know, For our listeners who'd uh, just like more information about Keep Kids Alive, you can go to our website at keepkidsalivedrive25.org. And Omaha Gives is a donation platform that's run through the Omaha Community Foundation that can accept donations year-round for Omaha-based nonprofits. So that's a way that you can support the Car Foundation, the Alliance for Safer Teen Driving, and Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 as well. And I'd just like to sign off by saying safe travels to everyone. Uh, no matter the distance of the trip, no matter what the reason, uh, safe travels to all out there. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please visit kkad25.org to find out how you can support Keep Kids Alive Drive 25. And get involved by following on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, it's about kids. It's about safety. It's about caring. It's about time.